section three of the rover volume one number eleven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the rover volume one number eleven edited by seba smith and lawrence labrie section three the white witch of Swanye all the roads leading to the famous city of brussels were thronged with pensioners hastening to the michaelmas fair which was held in the year fifteen sixty seven traders and farmers with loaded vehicles of every description and size were streaming onwards and groups of gayer visitors on foot and on horseback mingled with them pursued the same route the times were more tranquil than they had been for some time past the recall of the duke of alba to spain had revived the hopes of the wretched flemings who had for years endured his iron yoke until their energies had been wholly subdued and they had ceased to labour because the fruits of their labour were seized by their rapacious taskmasters now however fairer prospects seemed to dawn upon them the departure of the tyrant had driven away the despair which had almost overwhelmed them and although a very few months had elapsed the industry and commercial spirit of the people had begun to revive the michaelmas fair which had been almost deserted gave promise of exhibiting its former prosperity and the great influx of merchants and visitors now upon the road seemed to fulfil that promise among the many persons journeying to brussels two in particular claim the attention of the readers of this history they were well mounted and armed but dressed in the coarse ordinary garb of german horse-dealers and their occupation was farther indubitably manifested by each of them leading a horse by a halter at the fair there could be no doubt that they would gain good prices for commodities so rare and so valuable one of the riders was a stout well-built man of about forty years old his features handsome and prepossessing had that frank and fearless air which experience and a knowledge of the world gained by being an actor in its busiest scenes usually confer he looked too honest for a horse-dealer and but for his dress and the other indications which plainly pointed out his calling a casual observer would have pronounced him to be of a superior class the other traveller was much younger and had not yet seen much more than five-and-twenty summers he was tall well-knit and graceful in his demeanour coarse was his garb yet there was in its arrangement an obvious attempt to triumph over the disadvantages which belonged to it and by the manner in which his cap was cocked you might swear the young fellow thought he was worth looking at at the fair to which he was hastening there could be no doubt that he would be as much admired by the flemish lasses as his horse would be by the connoisseurs of the other sex the steeds which they rode at led were such animals as for blood and figure were not often to be met with of the true spanish breed and full of that arabian fire which at the period here spoken of had so great an influence upon the men as well as the horses of spain they were such as would have made fit presents for a king the rarity and value of their cattle might have accounted for the superior appearance of our dealers but a conversation which took place between them will explain it in a more satisfactory manner yonder said the elder traveller are the towers of brussels and there for the present our journeying 
must end now for the last time good comrade let me remind thee that thou art a horse-dealer and a german let no word of spanish and as little flemish as may be pass thy lips forget all notions of gentility and chivalry sit loosely on thy horse and as like a serving man as may be leave that military straightness of port and forget that thou hast ever ridden at the head of thy troop thank heaven that we are about to reach brussels said the younger for then at least most reverend gaspar i shall be relieved from thy counsels by night and by day sleeping and waking full and fasting drunk and sober hast thou dinned into my ears the sage precepts which thou thinkest necessary to guide my conduct until i know each of them as well or better god forgive me than my prayers and upon a most ungrateful pair of ears have i bestowed all my good advice since this is the return i get for it replied gaspar thou dost injustice to thyself most sage counsellor if thou deemest that i regard not thy precepts and thou dost me no less wrong if thou deemest that i do not intend to obey them mary albrecht thou hadst better unless thou hast a mind to feel a hempen collar about thy neck for that will inevitably be the fate of both of us if we should be discovered and as i have no taste for hanging gaspar thou mayest believe that i mean not willingly to put myself in danger of it believe me old friend that i do not undervalue thy counsel but by being so often repeated it falls a little dully upon mine ear there was no exaggeration in honest gaspar's speech if their errand had been discovered their death was certain the noblemen and gentlemen of the low countries had resolved to make an attempt to throw off the domination of the spaniards this had been determined in a numerous assembly where they had sworn to support the cause of their country's freedom though it should reduce them to the most abject poverty for confiscation of all their property was what they must have expected at least if their design should be discovered in the fervour of the moment one of the chiefs proposed that they should pledge a toast expressing their devotion to the cause jusqu'à à la basse in allusion to the ruin they were likely to encounter in accomplishing their object they thence adopted the name of beggars their device was a scrip or dole wallet and many of their party signals consisted of allusions to the habits and practices of beggars albrecht von engelbart was the son of a nobleman who had lost his life and fortune in the earlier part of the struggle which ended in the total subjection of his country albrecht who at his father's death was a mere infant had been sent into spain where he had been educated and by the aid of some of his father's friends had been admitted into the spanish army he had shown himself the worthy child of a race who had long been distinguished for gallantry and prowess on his return to the low countries he had been initiated into the fraternity of the beggars and had sworn to devote all his power to revenging his father's death and freeing his country the times were favourable for a revolt all preparations had been made for its taking place at brussels at the michaelmas fair albrecht and gaspar his old military instructor and a firm friend of his father had agreed to be there to aid the revolt they had chosen the dress of horse-dealers not only as a disguise but because it enabled them to introduce into the city without suspicion two excellent chargers belonging to the count berg who was in person to head the revolt and who was like themselves to come into the city in disguise by the time that this discourse had reached the point at which we left it our travellers were near the gate by which they were to enter the city of brussels as their appearance was not calculated to excite any suspicion they passed the guard unquestioned and rode to a hotel in the great market-place where having bestowed their steeds safely they repaired to the common room of the inn for the purpose of supping 
this place was so crowded that it was with difficulty they found a seat and when they did so they were compelled to take up with a place at a table where sat a company who appeared to be little better than mendicants if it be true that misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows it is no less true that hunger makes folks but little fastidious in their choice of companions our travellers sat down to their repast and were so much occupied with it that they paid little attention to the conversation which was passing around them or to the persons by whom it was carried on their appetites being satisfied they had leisure to listen and the younger traveller became very much interested in a discussion which was carried on with some warmth respecting a popular tradition that prevailed in the neighbourhood of brussels and to consider the appearance of the persons among whom chance had thrown him an old man of venerable appearance accompanied by a young girl whose complexion announced her to belong to one of those vagrant tribes which under the name of bohemians or gypsies were then and are still scattered over europe were sitting at the end of the table the patched doublet and capacious grip of the old man showed him plainly to be a common beggar the young woman was little better but all the disadvantages of a very coarse attire were not able to conceal her rare beauty to which her brilliant and expressive eyes added a power which was almost irresistible the only other person engaged in the discourse was a tall man of sinister aspect who wore a patch over one of his eyes and whose countenance had a mingled expression of cunning and audacity which rendered him as disagreeable-looking a ruffian as can be imagined they were talking over the story of the white witch of soigny which the old man insisted was as true as that of the duke of alba was the governor of spain and the other man ridiculed it as an old woman's fable albrecht's curiosity was excited and he begged to know what the story was about whence came you my son said the old man turning to him that you do not know the legend of the white witch of soigny and then without waiting to be answered he went on in times and many years before this country owned its present masters the broad barony of soigny extending over many a league and taking both tower and town within its verge was the property of the lords of engelbart albrecht's curiosity was now more strongly excited than ever he knew nothing of the history of his family but the fate of his father and he listened eagerly to the old man's story rodolph von engelbart was the flower of the chivalry of his day and happier than all his peers in the possession of the most beautiful and virtuous lady in the land as his wife one thing alone troubled their felicity the baron who was an excellent man in other respects had either by constitution or from a want of control a habit of indulging in very violent transports of passion when these excesses were upon him he gave vent to the most unseemly and irreverent language which shocked and distressed his amiable wife beyond measure she frequently remonstrated with him and when the fit was over he would express the greatest contrition for his fault and make the most fervent vows that he would never so offend again but when anything happened to awaken the tempest of his ire he was as fierce and ungovernable in his language as ever his wife was seized with a sudden distemper which proved rapidly fatal and in a few days he was left alone in a world which had lost to him the, its only charm he threw himself beside the cold corpse of his wife and wept with an agony that seemed too violent for existence at length he was forced violently from the chamber of death the preparations were made for the funeral and the baroness was interred with the solemnities that befitted her high rank with that prostration of soul which often accompanies deep grief the baron repaired to the chapel of his castle on the evening after the funeral and kneeling before the high altar he humbly and ardently besought forgiveness from heaven and in the desperation of the moment 
prayed either for death upon himself or that his wife might be restored to him a low sound of music appeared to pass near him he rose and approached the small postern of the chapel which led to the garden and by which he had entered immediately opposite was the chamber which his wife had been used to sit the long window which opened on the lawn was widely unclosed the music again stole over his senses it was the lute of his wife it was the very air she had played to him so often he thought he dreamed he rushed toward the chamber and to his unspeakable astonishment beheld her sitting there in her familiar position and more beautiful than he had ever seen her in a moment he clasped her in his arms and found her warm and breathing as soon as he could command himself so as to utter any coherent expressions he begged her to explain to him by what means she had been so suddenly restored to existence she looked at him gravely and begged him to ask her no such questions heaven has restored me to you for the purpose of correcting that sin in which you have hitherto indulged if you love me you will never again give way to passion or to intemperate language i am yours upon this condition alone and the moment that you so offend will be the last of my existence it were long to tell all the vows and oaths the baron made to his new-found wife in the transports of his gratitude the event wrought a visible change in him the impression which it had made upon his mind was so deep and lasting that he from that moment kept a powerful control over himself and was never heard to utter an intemperate word for years their happiness remained undisturbed several children blessed their reunion one day the baron's favorite stag-hound returned home grievously wounded some unlucky hunter had stricken the dog with a quarrel the baron was so vexed that he forgot his oaths and vented a torrent of imprecations against the hand by which his dog had been crippled a low moan from his wife arrested his attention she was gazing at him with an expression of grief which suddenly calmed his rage he approached and to his surprise and horror her form seemed to melt in his embrace and she vanished into air the children she had borne since her reappearance disappeared at the same moment and the baron saw then that it was the phantom of his wife and not herself that he had been living with he survived this event but a short time and ever since that period the wood of soigny has been haunted at particular times by a female figure which appears dressed in white bearing a wand in her hand she seldom appears but when some important event is going to befall some of the descendants of the house of ingelbart it is said she will reply to any of that blood when accosted by them that she will disclose to them the secrets of their destiny but that to all others she is silent the people of the neighborhood many of whom have seen her call her the white witch of soigny the old man's tale being finished albrecht asked him eagerly where the phantom was to be seen in the wood of soigny at that part which reaches to the lake of la Roe. at least that is the spot in which she has been the oftenest seen albrecht remained for some time in deep thought he felt a great desire to visit the place which had been spoken of and to see if he might the phantom shape that could inform him of his future destiny he was roused from his reverie by the approach of the man who had been in conversation with the old beggar may i ask comrade said he with an air of familiarity what brings you hither albrecht was about to tell him that he thought him an impudent rogue when gaspar who saw the storm rising prevented it by replying that they were horse-stealers and came in hope of finding a purchaser for two thoroughbred horses you come to a bad market said the fellow for all the nobles in this country are beggars our travellers both looked at him earnestly any allusion to beggars was well known among them to be a sign of fellowship and they were convinced that they had guessed rightly in supposing him to be one of their party 
when he made a secret signal by which they announced themselves to each other they immediately entered into a low conversation in the course of which the stranger informed them that he was a retainer of the count berg's that his master would not be in the city until the next day but one that the rising would not take place until then and that in the meantime they must be cautious and by no means leave the city Abrecht, who had felt a prepossession in favour of the old mendicant whose venerable appearance and imposing manner seemed to imply that he had not always been so low in fortune as he now seemed to be asked the stranger if he was of their fraternity he replied he thought not but immediately tried the old man with the signal he made no reply and they were therefore convinced that he was a real beggar and not one for merely political purposes the old man rose to depart and the beautiful girl who had been sitting beside him gave him her arm albrecht seeing he walked with difficulty offered his assistance the old man thanked him and as he drew near the door grasping the youth's arm with a force and energy which by no means corresponded with his tottering gait he whispered in his ear son of engelbart if you would see the white woman of soigny repair to-morrow betimes to the lake of la rue cross the lake and to you she will be visible but say not a word of your intentions to any but gaspar and beware of your new acquaintance there is danger in him we shall meet again now be gone they were by this time at the door of the room and the old man shaking off albrecht at the same time that he warmly pressed his hand disappeared with the young gipsy albrecht returned to gaspar whom he found in discourse with the stranger he thought he had never seen a more vicious expression than this fellow's features presented and he was convinced the old man's caution was a useful one under the pretence of fatigue he persuaded gaspar to retire and as soon as they were alone he told him of the determination he had formed to visit the lake of la rue gaspar tried to dissuade him but finding that it was in vain he resolved to accompany him he was satisfied that the rising was not to take place till the day following the next and as he was afraid that albrecht's impetuosity might break out he was not perhaps sorry to get him out of the crowded city as soon as the sun was up on the following morning albrecht roused his companion and saddling their horses they set off toward the wood of soigny half an hour's riding brought them to the spot which had been indicated to them by the old man the lake here formed a small bay at the end of which stood a cottage inhabited by an old man who derived his subsistence by fishing in the lake they easily induced him to take charge of their horses and to lend them his boat for the purpose of making an excursion on the lake and of viewing the scenery on the opposite shore they entered the boat and having pulled into the middle of the lake they saw very plainly at the most remote point of the opposite shore a small white cross which surmounted the chapel or hermitage of which they had heard with an energy which this strong curiosity had excited albrecht directed the boat to that point and gaspar with less curiosity but not with less good will seconded his exertions they soon made the chapel and running the boat into a small creek which was beside it albrecht looked about him with the kind of incredulous but uncertain feeling which scorns to believe what the heart devoutly wishes may be true he stood up in the boat listening and looking intently around not a sound fell upon his ear but the murmur of the ripples which the soft wind roused upon the bosom of the placid lake as they gently touched the pebbly shore no sight met his anxious eye but a flitting bird which occasionally darted out from the thick wood and flew rapidly from one tall tree to another he began to think that he should have nothing but his labour for his pains and the sarcasms of gaspar on the road to brussels when he fancied he heard a sound like that of low music he listened almost breathless he could not be mistaken it increased and now he heard distinctly a melody as wild and as beautiful as that which the night wind makes when it dies upon the chords of a neglected harp even gaspar heard it 
for without rising from his seat in the boat he inclined his head toward the water to catch it it became louder and approached nearer albrecht was about to speak when at a short distance through the trees he saw a light vapory form which by degrees became more distinct it assumed a positive shape and he saw visibly and plainly before him exactly such a figure as had been described to him a female form of delicate and beautiful proportions clad in white with dark hair hanging down her shoulders and having a wreath of flowers on her head stood looking toward him she glided on as if she trod not upon the earth and beckoned him with a wand which she held as if inviting him to follow her without uttering a word and before gaspar was aware of his intention he leaped ashore and darting through the thicket pursued the form which fled rapidly from him gaspar did not venture to leave the boat until he had devised some means of fastening it to the shore and by the time he had accomplished this albrecht was out of sight to follow him was in vain for his companion had not been able to tell exactly at what point he had disappeared there was no path through the thicket he called as loud as he could until the wood re-echoed with albrecht's name but it was from the echo alone he obtained a reply in utter despair after climbing the tallest trees he could see he sat down by the shore to vent his anger by blaming his companion and himself in the most eloquent vein that his vexation could suggest for the first half hour this was well enough but after that he got tired and more than ever anxious the time at which they ought to be at brussels was drawing nigh his honour and albrecht's were pledged to their being in the city to fail in performing this engagement was a thought he could not brook to go alone and leave his friend to dangers which seemed the greater because he could not define them was as disagreeable an alternative he determined at length to make one more effort to seek him and if that should fail to hasten across the lake and thence to brussels where he would supply albrecht's absence as well as he might at the same time in order to secure his friend's retreat he had resolved to dispatch the waterman back with the boat to await the youth's return full of this determination he penetrated the thicket by which as nearly as he could recollect albrecht might have gone but although he struggled manfully and received with indifference many a blow on the face and shoulders from the thick underwood which abounded his labour was in vain he could find neither track nor path and after a fruitless struggle he returned to the shore to put the other part of his resolution into effect his boat was moored fast where he had left it but to his consternation he found that the oars and sail had been taken away during his short absence he looked about but the more he looked the more he thought the more he was lost in amazement the means of proceeding were taken wholly away from him and he could not imagine how to go by land was impossible he did not know the road if he had it was so far about that he could not hope to reach brussels by the morning he was getting monstrously hungry without the most remote chance of satisfying his appetite and in short he began to feel himself in the situation of a man who is perfectly miserable without the possibility of helping himself this conviction when after much swearing and stamping and passion he did arrive at it brought him some consolation he saw it was in vain to struggle and he therefore made up his mind to endure as well as he might the evils he could not remove he stepped on shore again and entered the small chapel which was close at hand here to his comfort no less than to his astonishment he found on the table some cold meat and a flask of wine which whether he had met with it in a hermitage or elsewhere he could not deny to be excellent we must however leave him to follow albrecht in his pursuit of the white phantom with expectations raised to the utmost pitch he made his way through the tangled recesses of the wood ever keeping in view but never being able to reach the extraordinary being who by her looks and gestures clearly invited him to follow her he had done so in breathless anxiety for some minutes when a turning in the path brought him in the front of a large mass of rocks in the centre of which was a rude opening which served for a doorway here the witch entered 
and stood for a moment beckoning him within all seemed dark but a faint light at a considerable distance which glimmered like an evening star he saw the white figure gliding before him and heard the rustling of female drapery after he had ceased clearly to distinguish her form still he passed on resolved to discover if it were possible the meaning of this mysterious visitant the light became more visible as he approached it and he saw at length that it proceeded from a fir tree torch stuck against the wall the figure was before him within a few paces of him he sprang forward and at the very moment that he thought the floating robe was within his grasp the witch disappeared from his sight as if she had entered the solid rock which barred his further passage he looked around him in amazement he was in a sort of chamber formed in the rock but he could discover no outlet save the passage by which he had entered while he was pondering on this singular event the same wild strain which he had before heard struck upon his ear and a voice which seemed to be close to him gently said son of ingelbart your destinies are about to be opened to you the descendant of a glorious line is called to deeds worthy of the race he is descended from at the same moment the fur torch was dashed to the ground and all was left in utter darkness but before abrecht had time to recover from his surprise a noise was heard like the turning of a heavy wheel and looking toward the spot whence the sound proceeded he saw a stream of light which in the next moment he discovered to proceed from an opening in the rock which gradually enlarged until it was wide enough to admit the passage of a man's body enter without doubt or fear cried a sonorous and manly voice abrecht obeyed and the moment he had cleared the passage the fragments of rock fell back in its place with a noise which echoed through the vaults like thunder albrecht saw himself in a large vaulted chamber lighted by a multitude of fine torches like that he had seen in the passage a table was in the centre round which sat about forty men well armed and having a martial appearance round the room hung a quantity of tattered and patched garments with scripts and beggars staves at the head of the table sat a man above the middle stature of a stalwart look and although he was perhaps fifty years old he was still active as a much younger man his piercing eye fixed on albrecht as he called out to the heir of engelbart to approach you are among your countries and your father's friends he added and although we might at other times have to offer you some excuse for the devices which have been practised to lead you hither this is no time for ceremony without further preface then let me inform you that you are in the presence of that company of the beggars of which you are a member although until this moment you have not been initiated into all their secrets i am the count brederode and i have been thought worthy to fill the seat in which you see me the enterprise in which you are engaged at brussels has failed the villain whom you talked with at the inn last night was a spy of the duke of albus and his object was to detain you and others there that he might ensure your destruction my plan was to get you out of the city persuasions i thought would not succeed so well as the scheme i have had recourse to and when you know that i am the same decrepit seeming old man who related to you the fabulous legend of the white lady of soigny you will know all the secret i need not tell you now that you have been so far deluded but it is fit you should know that my means of the white witch and the fears she has spread among the people of this neighbourhood we have been enabled to secure this retreat when we have been hunted from our own halls by the tyrant whose iron rod rules our country but better times are at hand the gallant william prince of orange has organised a force which will soon be in action the brave men you see about you are to join him as soon as the plans are finally arranged and among them is to be your place with such rank as befits your father's son when the count had finished he rose and embracing albrecht introduced him by name to each of the other warriors albrecht became anxious about gaspar and told brederode that he was desirous his friend's safety should be looked to 
that has been provided for said the count he is nearer than he or you imagine the hermitage communicates with this chamber and the danger at brussels being over he may now enter he made a signal to one of the younger warriors who disappeared and in about two minutes returned with gaspar blindfolded on the handkerchief being taken from his eyes his surprise may be imagined short explanation sufficed for him and when he heard that a general massacre of all who were suspected of being disaffected was to have taken place at brussels he was extremely grateful to the confederates and to the white witch for having rescued him one part of the tale not the least interesting remains to be told but our limits warn us it must be told concisely the white witch was as some of our readers have guessed the identical gypsy the old beggar's attendant and both characters were equally foreign from her own she was the courageous and enterprising daughter of bretterode one of the most gallant and single-minded men that ever drew his sword for the holy cause of freedom the affection of his daughter marguerite for him induced her to share his perils her presence of mind and intrepidity had rescued him from many of them albrecht remained in the cavern long enough to know her rare virtues and to be captivated by her singular beauty the fair days were at hand the insurrection by the prince of orange was eminently successful and the feats of the baron von engelbart contributed in no small degree to that success peace again visited a land from which she had been long an exile engelbart was restored to his barony and his demeans need we say to the intelligent reader with whom he shared them for many years in happiness and content did albrecht and marguerite live in the halls of his ancestors and his bride bore to the day of her death the appropriate cognomen of the white witch of soigny End of section three